It seems every day ends with a miracle here in the frontier. And whatever God may be, I thank God for this day. Welcome back to Pulp Clifton. I'm very excited to have Blake Barnes, a fellow Blake, on the podcast to talk about Dances with Wolves today. Blake, how are we doing? Blake, I, uh, I intentionally in the uh, in the uh, anchor chat here, but Blake number two because I I, uh, I succumb to your Blake greatness, uh, and it is a it is a true honor to be on the podcast today. It is, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I I've been thinking about it um, for at least a couple days at this point, and it has got to be the highlight of my evening. Um, so I'm I'm pumped to be here. Uh, extremely excited to be talking about the the flick that we're discussing today so thank you for having me well this started absolutely this started um a couple weeks ago we were down in austin uh for brian skolsky's wedding brian great man uh very much not made his way in the podcast he wants to do forrest gump and we just have to slowly edge that one in um but we started talking kind of in the back of the bus headed to the wedding about Hey, why why don't we get this off the ground a little bit? And uh, Matthew Tucker, who's just on here, was was doing this, and pretty much off the cuff, you were like, "All right, we've got it. We've got to do this, and we've got to do dances with wolves." Mm. Yeah, I. So, so I know out there for everyone who is unaware, dances with wolves, nineteen ninety flick, three hours in length. It is just. It is the Moby Dick of, of movies, if you will. It is just a, a grind to get through it. But if you are aesthetic, artistic, contemplative, uh, and, and a person who appreciates all things epic, this is the movie for you. What a great three sentences. I mean, somebody said once, if you can't explain under two sentences why someone should watch something, a TV show, a movie, then they shouldn't have to watch it. That that kind of got me refired up to talk about it again, but we're going to do a quick overview. So like you said, dances with wolves is a 1990 movie directed by Kevin Costner, starring Kevin Costner, kind of the really, he is throwing a hundred miles an hour. It came out um, October of 1990. It is 181 uh, minutes long. The budget was $22 million and it pulled in, $424 $424 million. It was nominated for 12 Oscars, winning seven, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and, I mean, on and on. Editing, cinematography, score, sound mixing. So it, it did a very, very good job. Would you say that this movie is timed well over the, you know, the last 32 years? So when I, when I looked into the just the credentials of this movie... I wanted to take us back to see what some of the competitors were uh, in the in the world that, you know, Dances with Wolves was up against at the time. You have movies like Goodfellas going up against people like Joe Pesci. You got movies like Godfather Part Three. And honestly, I could just I could stop there. And they're winning awards over these movies. If you've never seen Goodfellas, quick plug fantastic flick got beat out best picture by dances with wolves so if you're sleeping on dances with wolves and you're you're a fan of anything in the late 80s early 90s just stop what you're doing dedicate the rest of your next three hours well you know hopefully finish the podcast but then after that go watch dances with wolves in its entirety um beyond that i mean uh 
no no shame uh also he he co co-directed it with a guy named jim wilson um and real quick before we really get into it so i i re-rented this movie on amazon prime and might i say one of my favorite features of of any any technology out there today is the x-ray feature on amazon prime movies I swear it took me another hour and a half to watch this movie on top of the three hours, just because I was nerding out about the little factoids. Uh, one of my favorite ones, um, there's a scene in the movie where there's some mules pulling a, uh, a, uh, uh, a cart, if you will. Um, and uh, uh, Timmons, the guy who's riding the cart, uh, calls out Jim and Jake. Come on, mules, Jim. Which, wait, come on, come, get up, get up, hang down, Jim. And he, uh, it's, it's a joke really for Jim Wilson and another man named Jake, who is also a, an assistant producer. Um, so just little, little beautiful things like that. And yeah. So like all throughout the movie, there's just little Easter eggs, uh, even on top of the, the Mona Lisa esque film that it is. Um, but anyways, I even lost track of your question. I just, I can't even, I'm actually really happy that you brought this up because there are different movies that, um, for whatever reason, withstand the test of time or stay culturally relevant for whatever reason. Um, just to to your point, to give credibility to two dances, because this is one of the early, early movies that I really, really enjoyed watching it, you know, growing up. These are the 1990 movies, because 1990 and the 1993 and the 98, th- those are some really good movie years. These are the movies that came out in 1990, to your point. Goodfellas, Total Recall, Miller's Crossing, Dances with Wolves, mm-hmm. Awakenings, The Freshman, Die Hard 2, Home Alone, Edward Scissorhands, uh, oh. Days of Thunder, The Hunt which, for Red which, can October. We just, can, we just, can, we, can we pause for a second? Um, Edward Scissorhands... Uh, you know, if you've been paying attention to anything to the news, it's our it's our main man Johnny Depp. Uh, you know, fighting through defamation, Absolutely. making sure that that his roles, you know, rake him in a good 15, 15 mil since uh, the accusation back in I think I think it was twenty sixteen, twenty eighteen, one of the two. Fantastic movie. Uh, also, one of those like I think some people might coin it as a B movie, but when you get into the like the real grit of what came out in nineteen ninety. Again, just touts the greatness of Dances with Wolves when you compare it to the lineup. Really, it's like the you know, the '95 All Star team. Absolutely, uh, and and the yeah. difference between you know, Home Alone, Goodfellas, Edward Scissorhands, Die Hard Two, and Dances, uh, not to mention The Godfather Three, which. Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese for Best Director. Uh, which to me is just truly, truly crazy that this is his first movie to get the reins, and then this is what he creates. Um, so going back to it, I guess just for you know for the sake of looking at these other movies, do you think that this is you know withstood the test of time? Yes or no? And then why you know why would it? Why would it get lost? Because we're offering credibility around movies that we do still watch. So that that is a fantastic question. Before we get any further in the podcast, I think it is absolutely worth mentioning that this movie has has received some criticism over the years. So let me let me take you back to um, really 
uh, I want to cite some things. I also just want to give a, a take on the uh, the movie itself. So criticism coming mainly in, obviously, uh, you know, the show is revolved around uh, what we'll call the Western frontier, displacement of um, of Native American people groups, uh, and and the criticism really comes in uh, John Dunbar, uh, played by Kevin Costner, the main character, is is accused of being really like the white savior type. I think I think that is a, a an entirely fair take, um, but I do want to uh, to really not use my own words, but but someone else. So. Um, let me, I, I'm looking at my, uh, my quotes here. Apologize. And I do actually want to go into the Kevin Costner a little bit before we go into the plot. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm reading from, uh, an article from Indian country today. Um, and the article talks a little bit, uh, about how the cast itself, whenever, uh, you, you look at decades of cowboy and Indian Westerns, um, how a lot of it is kind of uh, is, is making the the Western cowboy godlike and the Indian uh, like a savage and, and someone who is less than. Um, so 1990, we're in San Francisco at the American Indian Film Festival, uh, and Michael Sue uh, Michael Smith, who is a Sioux, uh, comes from the Sioux Sioux tribe, um, looks back and says the reception was euphoric. And quote, "We had so many people. The theater had 670 seats. It was pretty moving." I think the film struck people in an emotional way. I don't think Dances, is Wolf, Dances with Wolves is ever going to be topped. Uh, and then we, we head on down um, and he, he goes on to say, it really set the tone for what movies featuring uh, American Indians uh, was going to be in the future. Um, so they, they, you know, between Jim Wilson and Kevin Costner took extensive uh, just um, research into what were the Lakota Sioux, uh, the Pawnee, the people of the South Dakota to Nebraska to Kansas Plain, American Indian people groups, uh, and, and how do we portray that in a way that is going to be, um, that's going to stand the test of time. So I think if you go back to what Michael Smith said, uh, president and founder of the American Indian Film Institute, never going to be topped. Uh, and, and later in the article, it says many would agree 25 years later, no Western has, has, has had such a powerful impact on, uh, the long-term positive effect on Hollywood's native portrayals. So mm -hmm. even just standing at that, I mean, you look at the last 10 years, um, equality race movements, uh, and wanting to represent people who they are, where they come from in accurate ways. And you go back to 1990 when this was a discussion that was barely coming out of the box. Um, really set the tone for what does it mean to uh, to tell the story and history of our nation in a beautiful way that, that gives honor to the American Indian people. Um, but then also on top of that, uh, just a movie that, um, I mean, if you watch it 28 times like I have, you will find something new and resounding and, uh, and impactful for you each time you watch it. So Long, long story short, yes, I absolutely think this has uh, stood the, 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 the test of time. Yeah, it's interesting. I was watching uh, Kevin Costner's acceptance speech for Best Director for, for this film, and uh, one of the first things that he did was uh, he thanked the movie studio for looking past his 
giddiness whenever he was trying to do a slideshow showing, mm. you know, what this movie was going to look like. Because, all right, we're 1990. We just listed off a few of the movies that came out in that year. Uh, this did incredibly, incredibly well. But on paper, this is not the first thing that comes to mind when you're looking at a blockbuster. So while it does capture, one, Kevin Costner's vision for um, why this is important, hmm. And two, it captures the beauty of the frontier before, uh, you know, this movie concludes with, uh, quote unquote, 13 years later, uh, their house is destroyed. Um, the Sioux, you know, the, the Sioux natives succumb to uh, pretty much white America and had to go into their own camps. And it's, it's a... Um, it's a highlight of what the frontier used to look like. We can get into mm. the fact that, you know, Kevin Costner in the movie said, I want to see this before it's gone. But three, mm. I think that there are some incredible themes here that go beyond just being in this civil war era, United States, which is um, like a lot of movies, but specifically Lieutenant Dunbar finding himself um, redefining uh, right and wrong, redefining where your stance is and things. Um, you know, there's some double, triple, quadruple entendres that can be applicable today of what, you know, where your stance is, even though you know a truth, you see something else to be true. And then you uh, realize that, you know, is he a traitor? That's one of the great questions of mm. is Kevin Costner a traitor? There are, there are soldiers that will find him and they're, they're just wondering, why are you dressed like you had a job? you abandoned it and now you're back and we're the bad guys. And so like, um, there, there are great questions. I think that's why, uh, this movie is so great because if it was just about the frontier and we're doing this Jeremiah Johnson, some say he's still up there thing. That's why nobody's ever seen that movie under 30 years old. But, um, I do, I do want to hit on Kevin Costner for a second. Um, well, well, Blake, before we yeah. go there, for those who have not seen the flick, should we do a quick two-minute synopsis of the plot just to run them through, uh, you know, where are we yeah, at, what's it. happening? All right, perfect. And, and don't get me wrong. Kevin Costner, <clears throat> especially through Waterworld, people have drug <laughs> him through the mud. And we'll talk about Waterworld. I, I Just hold your horses on that. Uh, but um, we'll get into it two seconds after we, we spend a little time on the plot. So here we are. It's 1863. We, we have Lieutenant John J. Dunbar. He's wounded on a battlefield table. Uh, he is seconds away from getting his, his right leg amputated. Fun fact about that as well from X-Ray on, on Prime. Turns out, uh, so Kevin Costner's double is lying on the table, and it's actually Jim Wilson and Kevin Costner playing the doctors. They dub over voices. Uh, but if, really? you, if you look closely, you can see the hands cl cleaning off the blood after doing some some operation. And you're like, those are definitely Kevin Costner's hands. Uh, he walks away and he's got that epic 90s mullet look. Uh, so just a little, little fact right there. Just, just for fun. Just for fun. They, you know, <laughs> they just wanted another scene, just the two of them kicking things off. Um, and so they, they have this line, let's go coffee up. He can wait a couple more seconds. Turns out that saves his life. So... He snaps off a piece of wood, puts his boot back on, 
gets back on the battlefield, but he, I think he's lost so much blood and he's depressed from the, from the, the wave of war. You find him on the union side, all of a sudden he hops on a horse and he rides directly into enemy fire, not once, but twice. The union side goes crazy. Uh, and in an attempt of suicide, he is elevated to a living hero. So because of this, he basically gets the, uh, the, the choice to, hey, you can go to whatever fort you'd like to of your choosing. Uh, all of a sudden chooses to go over to Fort Hayes, looked it up on Google Maps, it's somewhere in Kansas. And then uh, eventually he, uh, he makes his way out to Fort Sedgwick. Um, so the whole setting of it is, is intentionally kind of supposed to be placed in South Dakota. Just some fun fact, uh, Fort Sedgwick is in Northeastern Colorado. So basically Kansas, Nebraska. And so I had to give a little shout out for that. I am, I'm currently calling from the basement of my uh, brother and sister-in-law's house, uh, AKA the basement troll. Um, so if I'm not a, <laughs> if I'm not a cinephile for that, then, you know, we could have a conversation later here nor there shows up to Fort Sedgwick. It's a totally abandoned. Um, and, and he essentially commits to, to reestablishing this dilapidated fort. Time goes on. Uh, he meets a, uh, he meets a, a wolf that continues to, to pass by, which eventually leads to, uh, his, his Indian name dances with wolves, the, uh, the eponymous name for the movie itself. So uh, time goes on and he gets, uh, essentially he, he comes in contact with uh, the Sioux tribe. And so that's who like really that we're focusing on here. I'm from the Indian, uh, the Native American, Na the American Indian populace here. Uh, there's some little youngsters who try to steal his horse. He has another raid. The horse escapes not once, but twice comes back. Cisco is the name of the horse. I would pay, an exorbitant amount of money to have a horse that loyal. Oh, um, we'll get into so, we'll get into that. Yep. Oh, dude, Cisco. Cisco has so many like this deep cut themes to him, um, which we'll get into later in the movie. A lot of time goes on. Again, a three-hour movie, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cut to the quick of it. Um, decides to to go engage with the Indian people, thinking that he has no idea why he's doing it, but he just seems like the right thing instead of just sitting there being picked on he's going to be proactive finds uh stands with a fist um who who eventually becomes uh lieutenant john j dunbar's love interest but he didn't know that at the time she is injured um through sorrow he brings back to the people uh there is a beautiful stitching together of of uh dunbar getting to know the sioux tribe and the sioux tribe getting to know him but one thing i love about uh, the way that he interacts with him is that he keeps a uh, a posture and disposition of humility the entire time um as seen in the example of whenever they find the field of buffalo that have only been taken for their their uh their hides and their tongues um he sleeps outside of the camp because he feels such guilt for the white hunters coming and taking the livelihood of the Sioux people, which I think, again, is just something that reflects his, his humility as a character. Things go on, falls in love with, uh, stands with a fist, and as you mentioned, abandons his post at Fort Sedgwick, becomes a member of the tribe. His battalion comes and sees that he has uh, really defaulted to becoming a, an Indian in a way of life. Was coined a traitor, um, then starts a scuffle between, uh, you know, the Union Army and the Sioux people, um, and things move on uh, to the point to where um, uh, John J. Dunbar uh, is able to uh, to have a life with the Sioux people and inevitably uh, must separate from them. Um, he and Stands with a Fist 
to to really uh, preserve as long as possible the way of life of the Sioux people because he's, he has really found family in them. Um, and so we'll cover the end of the movie uh, and obviously the scene with uh, uh, wind in his hair screaming from the cliff. We have to we have to cover that one. But anyways, that's the essence of the movie. Again, three hours. So I tried to do it in, in hopefully four or five minutes or so. But yeah. let's move to Kevin Costner. That was three and a half minutes. Um, could not have done that myself. I'll be honest. I am a talker. And uh, that is, in a nutshell, where we find ourselves. A Civil War era, yet in the frontier. Um, to me, the, fir- the first 15 minutes are vital because you have to find credibility and reason to find this guy in the middle of nowhere before he just settles upon this abandoned military fort. Um, yes. Which, rewatching it, it's like, golly, the first 15 minutes are so, so good. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that. Let's do a quick four minutes on Kevin Costner. He is um, something that I've never understood growing up because there's all these, you know, in the old times, Robert Redford and Paul Newman and uh, just sure. good looking movie stars that come on so heavy and then it goes straight into you know like tom cruise and then denzel has you know more swag than anybody that i could ever imagine going into leonardo and matt damon uh and then today with all these good looking dudes but all the moms growing up loved kevin costner gotcha and and i never understood that I, i never understood what the appeal was but that guy you know, going from the Bull Durham, Kevin Costner, because um, he was really a heavy sports guy, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Feel the Dreams. Um, yeah. Tin Cup. Like it on the other one. Yes, Tin Cup. Um, yeah, th- those are all just iconic. But the fact that he decided to put his pretty much political power of Hollywood into this project at this time in 1990 um, – it shows a lot that he was wanting to elevate himself into something more um, than just being the the good-looking and uh, relatable sports figure. Um, and he has aged quite well among some tumultuous <laughs> peaks and valleys. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I think if you were to step back and, and take... Man, I'm, tr- I'm trying to come up with a... We'll we'll, t- we'll say, if Tom Cruise, Dennis Quaid, and Nicolas Cage were put into a nuclear reactor and morphed into a person, I think Kevin Costner would walk out of the doors. I feel like that's a movie. Hey, that, I mean, we can find some budget. I'll. Uh, Is that like I'll be a good a, version a writer of Face Off? <laughs> you know, I think it may be a good version to us, but but let's get you know. Fifteen twenty million dollars, and see if see if it. But you're right. Because we're talking. I'm looking at this. We've got Bull Durham, Untouchables, Field of Dreams. I mean, this guy is on the up and up, and Dances with Wolves kind of solidifies him as one of the guys of Hollywood going into the Bodyguard, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, Oh, actually, let me let me cut you off there. Yes. Not Tom Cruise. I'm I'm swapping out Tom Cruise for Harrison Ford. Hmm. And and a little factoid on that. So 
so uh, Jim Wilson and Kevin obviously had a had a massive bond in the middle of uh, in the middle of you know making this movie. Fast forward to 1997. Jim Wilson goes out and uh, and you know, collabs with with uh, Kevin Costner again um, to uh, to film The Postman. So again, uh, and I'll get to the point why you're saying The Postman real fast. This movie, you know, budget, massive budget. Again, you know, they're like, okay, sweet. It's going to be another out of the parker. Jim Wilson, Kevin Costner comes up with a fat 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. And get I'm, this. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and, and, and Harrison Ford, well, they wanted Kevin Costner for, for some big role that Harrison Ford played in. Uh, but he was like, hey, I'm too busy doing The Postman. Go ahead and give it to Harrison Ford. And I think in 1997, Kevin Costner kind of adopted his Nicholas Cagery um, and did not elevate to the status of, of Mr. Harry Ford, I think, at that moment. So if I were to have a hot take, Jim Wilson, one-hit wonder, Dances with Wolves. He was a little bit of a, of a dead weight to, uh, to Kevin Costner's career, kind of mid-late 90s, but, um, but here nor there. I mean, um, some, some would call him a one-foot wonder after that opening scene. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, honestly. But that is, that is really interesting, and and I know that he, after dances, because when your movie costs $22 million and it makes 424 and gets Best Picture, you pretty much have um, free reign to make whatever you want. And it's yeah, really it's like immunity on Survivor. Yeah, it's like getting immunity for an episode on Survivor, exactly. And, the, and it's really interesting looking at his IMDb of where he decided to put his power. I know one of the biggest flexes that he made was getting wider made the same year that um, oh yeah tombstone was made and it was just a race oh, yeah. about who was going to come out first and um you know tin cup as a golfer is one of my favorite movies it's just a great capture but he really delved into leading up to yellowstone um which we'll get into he really delved mm. got got deep into this character actor of uh you love him as uh, in Molly's game, uh, as the dad who you know couldn't show affection, you know he's he's Clark Kent's dad in the new Superman. I mean, uh, gosh, and the way that he's able to deliver lines, whether it's the bodyguard or Dances with Wolves or uh, Field of Dreams, you know, just I mean, even in The Man of Steel, he's just like. You have to decide what kind of man you want to be, Clark. Whatever man you choose is going to change the world. And like, if if somebody not Kevin Costner saying that, I'm pretty checked out. Oh yeah, I mean he 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 has a, a if, if you've seen a single episode of Yellowstone, I think Yellowstone is probably the most culturally relevant thing he's done recently. He says one word, and you don't for a second think I'm listening to Kevin Costner. You think I'm listening to John Dutton who is fighting to protect his land from commercialism. And, I, I might and, be listening to, to Mr. Dutton. Yeah. And, and you're like, if Mr. Dutton was a real person, I'm looking at him and, and I forget that I'm looking at Kevin Costner. Like he has this innate ability to, to, to speak anything into a fictional existence that makes it seem non-fictional. So I think you're spot on with that. Take. Well, and going back to put a ribbon on this, I love, 
that you chose this movie because I did want to have a Kevin Costner appreciation moment because he really does get lost in uh, the library of Hollywood as one of the great frontmen um, because of some bizarre choices from, we'll call it water world to the guardian. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, he really, he really is a very one of one type actor who is got the younger sex appeal into the father that you immediately look up to uh, and it lasts for 30 years. And the fact that he decided to put all of this energy into one movie and decide to put, you know, place us in the frontier for three hours uh, is, is really special. Um, going into dances. Cause I, I, you know, I think it's time for us to finally get into this. Um, yeah. This was the first. Um, this was the first movie because I remember my parents had a huge library in the closet of VHS movies, and it was like Disney, 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 Star Wars, Star Wars, uh, Disney, Dances with Wolves, and I, I played the hell out of that VHS. Yeah, you and, did. Uh, that thing was that thing was you know losing losing slack in the tape <laughs> yeah, at that point. That, that thing was each in its way, just barely barely scratching its way to the end. By the time I left for DVD World, but um, looking looking like something like single ply, you know, <laughs> exactly part toilet paper or something. <laughs> One of those where it's like, who didn't rewind this last time they watched? Oh, it was me. Uh, yeah, but I I love that you chose this. I um I I do. I do want to hit on uh, really the beginning of the plot. Do you think that there's too much black and white in this movie after doing an overview of um, what this plot is kind of leaning, you know, leading us down toward? Yeah. 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 So, and, and let me, let me make sure I'm understanding your question correctly. So when, when we were saying black and white, are we, are we posing, uh, you know, white American Civil War armies versus the Native uh, Native American American Indians. Are we talking about Dunbar versus his his uh, his ranking counterparts? What is the? Uh, are, are we talking just? Yeah, good question. Know, I think demographically, the black, the black and white that comes to mind is okay. We have a Union hero going into the frontier, entering as the villain, finding himself you know, finding self-awareness to become the villain, finding the Sioux people who also in their world have their villain. Right. Yeah. I mean, Wes Study, who is a great actor, his, his, his name in the movie is toughest Pawnee. (laughs) Like if he had the Pawnee first, would, would the Sioux have been bad? But, Really, you know, they're painting a picture about what the frontier looked like. Do you think that the um, the paintbrush is, you know, a little too heavy um, on the black and white, or do you think that there is room for us to make decisions on our own? You know, I, so I get your question at this point. I would say, um, going back to my comment earlier, when you look at decades of of American Indian Western cowboy uh, face-offs. This movie finally bridges the gap between 
it's it's not so black and white. Um, like you you get into you know when's the last time you watched a a Civil War movie and it wasn't North pitted against the South? You know yep. you see a division of the Union Army with John J Dunbar coming into his own and understanding hey like like it's not just about winning this war to me uh it's about like understanding what my country is and i think if you follow the the storyline of dunbar it is the first movie that paints american indians as just as american as the north in the civil war was you know you go back to the the abolition of slavery and 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 you you root for the north for the freedom and equality uh, and, and really like no man being above its own. So, and I think that's entirely noble and very thankful that that is a staple of our country today. Um, but you then go and, and chase a little bit further down into what really does it mean to be American? And if you find yourself in 1863, I think John J. Dunbar really like went into kind of a, a cultural no-no at the time uh, and and said, hey, I'm I'm now a part of what uh, just like the land of the free and home of the brave is, uh, and and goes and inserts himself into it. Now, when you look on the back part of the movie, the Union Army comes back. They look at John J. Dunbar like a traitor. Uh, I think I think if you're watching the movie with any intent, you you are on. Dunbar's side when he's being accused of things that, you know, leaving his post, not being loyal to to the nation and what they're after. The guy was like basically marooned out there. Like if you if you trace in the front half of the story, he waited on rations and supplies for months and months and months, and no one checked in on him. So if I'm him, I'm like, well, I'm not just going to sit around here, die, run out of rations, and drink dead deer infested water. I'm going to go, I'm going to go like make something of this experience. And so you, you just become a fan of him as he comes through the movie and, and you say, hey, maybe looking back in the history books, when you read about North versus the South in the Civil War and uh, the, the genocidal activities of, a, of you know, white Americans uh, for the Western American Indian, maybe it wasn't so black and white as, you know, the old Westerns and Civil War movies paint it to be. I'm getting I'm getting the Venn diagram of what was really happening in the background with individual experiences and and my and my take honorable experiences. Um, like I, I was reading even earlier today, the year's two thousand and seven, and in the United States National Film Registry of the Library of Cond Congress put this movie in uh, in selection of its preservation as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically mm. significant. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, it was progressive in, in the way that uh, it, it, it became uh, less black and white of antagonist versus protagonist of the South or the North in the Civil War or in the white Western expansion versus American Indians. Like, mm -hmm. I think I think it is black and white in that you are on Dunbar's side uh, in that he went out and did something that was uh, pretty atypical. But it's also really black and white just saying like, or it's not black and white at all. When you look at the, uh, we'll just say, you know, the, the traditional storyline, whenever you look at these types of people groups. Right. Like the size of the middle of the Venn diagram is much larger than the 
respective counterparts on the side. Um, yeah, and I think if you if you're looking at the 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 overlap of that Venn diagram, Dances with Wolves is like is taken up a large large percentage of what credit do we owe this film uh, and just the the rescripting of how we view um, cultures, people groups, historical happenings uh, through um, uh, through cinema. So and to your to yeah. your point, in a vacuum. Dances with Wolves is the title of the movie, and it is the description of a white American soldier <laughs> named a Native American name, which is cool. But one of my one something that that did stick out as I was nodding as you were saying the plot alone, I was I was nodding alone like like someone could see me nodding like I was in a congregation was when. The, the reason that, that Kevin Costner was perfect for this role, whether or not he was directing it or was the genesis of this project, if someone wanted to make this movie, Kevin Costner was the perfect cast because he can exude a very genuine yet confident humility, which is mm. the single most important element of this movie. It is someone who is there to inflict... Um, a greater will onto a an area, right? He had his agenda and he had his uh, his uniform, but the only way that this works is this, is if the individual can come into contact with, uh, you know, the the native population and have humility that they know more than he does, even though he's describing buffalo and they have no idea what he's talking about. He's describing it physically now running around like a buffalo and it's like oh he's lost his mind and then finally kicking bird is like tatanka oh buffalo and that's the first moment of okay we understand each other but through all of those small moments leading up to the big payoff which is i am now one of you uh you know the lieutenant is dead you are dances with wolves that has to take place for a long amount of time for us to believe that this Sioux population would accept an American soldier. And it only works if that soldier is Kevin Costner. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, if you've ever read, uh, East of Eden, Mm. um, there is a, uh, there's a character in that book uh, named Samuel Hamilton. Um, and for any of our, any of our book nerds out there, uh, You've probably read East of Eden. If you haven't read East of Eden, I, I highly, highly recommend it. Samuel Hamilton, that character is like the loving, brave, open-minded, humble, and and seeking to understand type of father figure, or really like a man that is worth looking up to. Uh, and and when I when I see uh, Costner playing Dunbar in this movie, I can't help but think of a Samuel Hamilton archetype. Uh, in that, like he comes in and, and one of the biggest things that just kind of proves, uh, where he's coming from, his mentality, uh, his openness, his humility, his, his, uh, really like desire to know these people is when he narrates his journal. Um, so I just want to make a quick statement on the journal, the, the pictures, the reflections, the sentiment of the importance of the journal. 
you get to see Kevin's reflections, um, as mentioned previously, uh, on how sentimental they are. And, and you really get to see the, uh, the dignified nature of the Sioux people. So one of the most uh, keen moments um, that, you, that you get to see this in is right at the beginning of the friendship of, of Dunbar and the Sioux people. Kicking Bird and Winnie and his hair come up with a buffalo pelt uh, and they give it to Dunbar. They, they don't say really anything. Uh, maybe Tatanka, which is the Lakota Sioux word for buffalo. And he takes it and it's kind of like shocked. He's like, wait, 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 you're giving me this? And, and which really just shows that, that uh, the Dunbar like gets the fact that the, the Sioux people live off of the buffalo. Um, they take and use every part of it. And the hide itself is, is extremely valuable. You know, it's like gold to people who live on the prairie. And so he, he registers the fact that he's being given a gift that is a huge sacrifice for them. Turns around and is like, please, I have food in my home. Uh, let me let me repay the favor. And Kicking Bird, uh, just the sage that he is, just kind of shakes his head. He's like, no, I'm good. Turns around, walks yep. off. Uh, and it's just the, the perfect microcosm of who are these people really? And uh, really, what does generosity look like when they welcome Dunbar or begin to welcome Dunbar into their family and say, what's mine is yours and, and you are uh, becoming a part of us at that moment. Uh, just exceptionally yeah. Yeah. beautiful, I mean, reflective and, and powerful. To, to your point, the, the prospect of, okay, yeah, this, this white you know, soldier is gonna be coming in and extending all that he has to offer. He entered a, you know, there, there's an introduction to sugar and coffee Mm. And um, and rifles. Whenever the Sioux are taking on their their local rival, right? And he's like, "I have guns. This will make two warriors uh, act like act like ones, uh, like one rival or one soldier." And then um, he brings them in. They defeat them, you know, the the rival. And he's like, "This is like no battle that I've ever seen." This they you know the Sioux people keep telling me this is the, the most one-sided victory that they could have wished for, and so it's like all right, so is he the hero here? But the first thing that he comes across is he's walking around this battlefield and his his face is bleeding, and he's like, there was no political agenda, there was no order from a ranking officer. This was this was a war waged over the food that will help us survive the winter. Yeah. Uh, there's a simplicity in that where, yeah, I gave you the guns and I helped you win, but um, what I gave you is still not comparing in what you gave me, uh, which, which, you know, you watch this and the winner here is certainly not Dunbar. Dunbar is not, or is, I'm sorry, is Dunbar the beneficiary of this relationship is not this local people who have this guy with guns. It is, <clears throat> totally. It is Dunbar. Cause at the beginning, the sewer like, all right, this is a threat. Uh, I love that line that when, when in his hair runs up uh, and, and challenges Dunbar and he's like, can you not see that I'm not afraid of you? And mm. then runs away and goes back to the camp and tells the elders, this is one man with a smart horse. <laughs> That's it. Dude, 
talk talk about a talk about an eighteen sixty three American Indian roasting. This when when did this when did his hair puts puts Michael Scott uh, in his roast fest? <laughs> I think in the fourth season of The Office, uh, uh, you know, gives him a run for his money. He this just, is he one just white man flames him. Boom, roasted. Yeah, um, that, but it really so it reminds me. You may have heard the quote. Uh, this is a um, poor man's fight, but a rich man's war. Um, coined originally, looking at the Civil War, you had these, you had these. Uh, these carpetbaggers, kind of like the big tweed money kind of fighting on things where, yes, it did matter at the end of the day, but, and, you know, love Abraham Lincoln, but was Abraham Lincoln out there fighting uh, at Gettysburg? Was he at uh, uh, um, Vicksburg? No. These people that you see in the scene, specifically that you're talking about, you know, a warlike unlike anything I've ever seen, coming from a Union soldier in Dunbar, you had you had uh, tin bears. You had kicking bird. You had the holy men and the sages of of this tribe fighting for their people, just like um, uh, the big smile guy. I'm blanking on his name right now, but smiles a lot. Uh, uh, yeah, smiles a lot. Thank you. Um, but you have you have young man, old man fighting for the the vitality of life, fighting for the continuation of their life. Um, so it's not something that's hyped up by ulterior motives or, or big money or, uh, political capital. This is straight up. We're trying to survive out on the plane. Uh, and things are just real. They're raw. Um, a beautiful scene. And, and I love that you mentioned when in his hair running up to, to Dunbar saying, I'm not afraid of you. Uh, just because, I mean, you are getting, you're putting a pro V one on the T just for a 400 yard drive, uh, for some beautiful teary-eyed symbolism later in the movie there absolutely the i went this hair in his hair and do you not see that i'm not afraid of you can you not see that i'm not afraid of you uh, a great image that they capture um is when the sioux um warriors are starting to fight um the shawnee i believe no pawnee right? pawnee yeah and um it's not some distant battlefield. It's among their huts and teepees. And there's that moment when uh, Costner kills a Pawnee warrior. And it's three feet away from this seven-year-old child just looking at it like it's a slow Tuesday. But just like that Dude, is it's going, real. It's real, like, man. That is going to shape. And it does shape. This is a way of life. Either they're going to die or I'm going to die. But um, the the closeness and the intimacy of those moments compared to the vastness of a frontier, they work really well together because the frontier is untouched, but the people in this area are completely touched with the day-to-day. Um, so, so that's great. And as we're flying through this, yes, Dunbar falls in love with, falls in love with Stands With a Fist, uh, but before they can displace and move in into the winter, into safer areas, Dunbar realizes my entire life is in this journal. I have taken notes of every single day from the moment oh, that I have exclaimed, this is my post, to, oh. to the moment that we're in right now where I am married to uh, Stands With The Fist. 
this journal is what does he call it? It, it, it is a it is a map. The words guide it will guide the next person that reads it. So he goes mm. back to his to his post, to his fort, and finds the Union army already there and immediately gets captured. As let's just fly through that really quick. Dude, okay. So you're 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 plucking on some harp strings of something that just absolutely wrecks me in in that scene. So he gets raided by his, you know, supposedly his own people, the Union troops. Um, there is that little punchable hellion, uh, the the curly curly haired dude, who uh, who's Spivey. out in spot. Oh my gosh, Spivey, dude! Even just <laughs> that name. Have you ever had those names in like your childhood growing up, where you're like, that person was mean to me, or oh, that person was that. just like just a total butt, and and. From then on out, you're like, I just hate that name. Spivey is that name uh, for at least this movie. Um, but you have the scene where he's out in the in the the weeds. He he steals his journal, and this journal at this point, like it's it's the narration is the journal. Every single sentiment that you've experienced with the characters up until this point is captured in that beautifully patinaed, leather bound journal. He's out there. Taking a and mom and dad and, and anything else, if you're listening, please, you know, excuse me. He's taking a shit in the grass. Yep. And he looks over yeah. at his at his uh, his peer and he's like, "Hey, do you have any paper?" And he's like, "Nah, man." Dude starts Why ripping out. Why are using the journal as toilet paper? as toilet paper? And I, I mean, like, so quick, quick, uh, um, off ramp here. I've I've had the fortune of getting to travel to a lot of places. Um, quick plug as well this movie was re-released in 2021 uh in korea uh grossed eighty three thousand dollars. so if you're out there and you're in and you're in south korea i hope you find this podcast shout out to you thank you for all that 84 grand that you gave this movie to revitalize it in some sense across the world blake but is pushing for a 2022 re-release dude honestly let's, let's get it going re-re-release <laughs> um but I've had a journal that I have logged a lot of travel memories in and whatever else. Um, and I, okay. I had a bag, I had a bag stolen in France that had that in it. And then we're talking, we're talking no prayers, way. weird stories, what are like, I mean, years of, of awesome trips. Is it and stolen now? Like you don't have it anymore? I don't, I don't have it. Oh. Um, and so, uh, not only is that just like a personal thing that hurts a lot when you see Spivey just start to sabotage and absolutely, uh, you know, make dirty rag of, of these cherished memories that you at this point are just like clinging onto as tightly as the characters are. Like um, I'm married to this woman and we are leaving and that article is that's worth it. going back for. And, and the oh. audience agrees. Oh yes, Totally. And then at that point, you're like, I mean, you're torn. You're like, should he even gone back? Like now he's like jeopardized a hundred different things. But you look at the value of that journal and you are like, please, please somehow let that be returned to him, um, which eventually in the end of the movie it is. And like, you feel like 
your right arm has been severed and then stitched back on and perfectly functional as it was. Maybe, um, maybe in his foot. I mean, if we're just going to stay dude, with continuity. Hey, hey, seriously though, um, which a lot of funny continuity things and prime x-rays. So <laughs> go, go check that out whenever you go, uh, whenever you go look back. But um, yeah, I mean that journal in a lot of ways, I feel like it's mine. Like it is, it is something that has such sentimental value uh, and also is one of those things, like whenever you go back and watch the movie for the 17th time, it hits you just as hard. It's like a Tyson left hook, just in terms of, man, that like the rage that you feel whenever Spivey is, is desecrating the journal, the contentment and, and wholeness that you feel when it's returned to him. Uh, it's just the whole, yeah, it's I mean, the payoff, the payoff's amazing. Uh, yeah. a journal like that whenever because you you can easily see that there is a long uh, span of time that's been covered and the only um, we'll call the only North Star from A to Z in this storyline is this is a journal the yeah. the last the last page that he uh, records it just says um, it's just dance I love dance with, with the wolves. Right? Oh yeah, I love dance with the fist. Stands with the fist, and oh. and that page is what's ripped out for that buddy to take a shit with. And um, gosh, to your point, you know, my first boss told me right when I got out of college, he was he was listening to these stories I was telling him from college, uh, from summers, and he goes, "Hey, you need to start writing these down because you think that you'll remember these forever, but you won't." And whether or not you can go back and read those as a documentation of uh, growth or a documentation of details that you never thought you'd forget, but it, it makes you feel great to relive them as your former self uh, has recorded it. Because as time goes by, you feel like you're reading somebody's story. And the fact that we've probably watched this, I've probably watched this. Honestly, I, I, you want to say a hundred times? I've probably watched this really twenty times, thirty times, which and wh- which I've is never... which is almost a hundred hours of your life. So. <laughs> True, it is three hours. I have never disagreed with the prospect of him going back for that journal. No, um, I do want to know kind of what the chemistry of a uh, uh, poison ri- river is like. You see one set of dead antlers, and suddenly that's no longer your water supply. But to each his own. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, when you look at that scene, uh, you you got to be thankful for modern technology. You got yourself some some uh, iodine tablets, uh, oh, life I've straw. Got, I've got chemicals anything. from my company that would just shock, just absolutely out of that nuke water. nuke that thing. That I mean, water would be drinkable <laughs> as hell, um, but. <laughs> Um, oh, oh the, speaking of yeah. a quick scene that I that I absolutely think, aside from the humility and whatever else, one of the most you know BSD moves. If you don't know what BSD is, you can go Google it. It's, it should be fine. He's in the water bathing, singing you know "I Want to Marry the Pretty Girl" song. Up comes Kicking Bird for the first time, uh, or, or someone uh, in the suit tribe, and. They're trying to steal Cisco, his horse, um, on the second go around. And he straight up just leaps out of the pond, just butt ass naked, charges up to him. And he's like, get out of here. 
and talk about just like the balls on that guy of going up to an Indian that he doesn't know anything about straight up naked. And he loves that horse enough to just charge out there, you know, naked as a jaybird and just tell off some dude who has a spear in his hand and all he's got is and if you're is the hair on his head. And all, all you're wearing is a bandana and you're gonna and your plan is to scare them off there are layers of which there are boxes you have to check to scare that person off that exude some serious confidence oh yeah yeah uh, um but i'll tell you but this. I, oh go ahead well, I was just going to say, while, while we're going through a couple other fun facts that I just uh, appreciated throughout the movie, um, Christine, the, who used to, who was Stands with a Fist as, uh, you know, a prairie child back in the day, played by Annie Costner, Kevin Costner's daughter, um, loved just like, going back to what you said earlier of, of, of Costner's commitment to directing, producing, and, and acting in this, um, Involving his family as well. Just so sentimental. And then the other thing I was going to mention, uh, Otter, one of the young Sioux boys who tries to steal Cisco in the middle of the night. Uh, and then it's, it's goes throughout the uh, movie as well. One of the Pawnee in that big war that you're mentioning. Yeah. Uh, he gets threatened by, you know, the scary Pawnee guy uh, who has sick face paint, by the way. I think that kid is one of the cutest kids I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. It's just, it just makes me happy. Whenever he's chuckling over there with smiles a lot. Um, so anyways, great, great uh, cameos from from little Ninos and Ninas all across the board uh, in this flick as well. Sorry. Out my Continue spoilers. on. Uh, For real though. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, so pretty much where we, where we conclude the movie, because uh, I think we've been going for about about an hour. Yeah, I appreciate all those people who have stuck with us so far. Oh, so yeah. put us on Shout put out. us on one point five X, hopefully. We should probably yeah. said that at the beginning. I, I would offer out a promo code for getting this far, but nobody sponsors us. Uh, <laughs> but uh where we're at is Costner's taken back from the Union and the Sioux Warriors come back to save him. They do as such and bring Costner back, but Costner immediately goes to kicking bird and the head of the tribe and just says listen i'm going to be wanted forever by my people i'm looked at as a traitor so me and stands with the fist we have to leave the sioux nation we have to go out and talk to people who will listen which is a really interesting there's depth there of like okay so where exact what is their end game what's the plan here but at the very least, we know Stands with the Fist and Dances with Wolves are leaving the Sioux Nation. Um, and this is, this is a goosebump moment, but the oh. way that we conclude the movie is truly an iconic look. Yes. Uh, so, if, if you don't mind, I w- I would, uh, I'd love to, oh, to walk yeah. us through that moment. All right, so um, the Sioux people being the nomadic tribe that they are, um, they uh, traveled into some forest land, uh, again, kind of being expelled from the, the place that they, they have, uh, they've, they've known. And um, going back to what you had mentioned earlier, wind in his hair, coming up to, uh, coming up to Dunbar at uh, Sedgwick, first couple scenes in the movie, 
um, really the first hour of the movie. You know, I, I'm not, can't you see that I'm not afraid of you? Can't you see, you know, you don't scare me type of mentality. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to find the quote because this, full, full this is pain and the horse is going at 100% full intimidation. This white guy needs to get the hell out of here. Oh, uh, yeah. So you look through the movie, there's this tension, like, a, like an alpha male dominance. And, uh, and Dunbar, in his humility, has just proven himself over and over again. I'm not going anywhere. I'm dedicated to you like family. I will go to battle with you. I will equip these people. I will, I will notify you whenever a buffalo herd is coming through so we can have a, have a tribe hunt. Like he has done thing over thing. And in response, you see wind in his hair over and over again, coming more around to seeing Dunbar as an equal, as someone that he respects and a upcoming leader of his own tribe. Here's this white man coming from the Union Army that he has come around on. And, and he calls him, you know, the serious one early on uh, before he knows his name. Um, you know, and Dunbar even goes as, as far to learn uh, uh, Lakota Sioux, the language that they speak. So they're standing, uh, you know, they've, they've traveled into the movie. They're standing in the snowy, beautiful landscape. Um, and as Dunbar and Stands with a Fist are, are packed up, wrapped in buffalo uh, pelt, heading off, up over the cliff, 100 feet up, wind in his hair, um, in, in Lakota, uh, looks down um, on the cliff and says, Sumana Tutanka Owachi, which, which is his name in, in Lakota Sioux, uh, dances with wolves. I am wind in his hair. Do you see that I am your friend? Can you see that you will always be my friend? And even just reading that quote now, I'm just, I'm, you know, on the verge of tears because you see it is like the pinnacle climax moment of, of relatability, of a melding of cultures, of brotherhood, of family. And in his heart language is calling to his brother. Um, and the whole thing is, is subtitled. He didn't say any of that in English, but in, in Lakota, do you see that I am your friend? Can you see that I will always be your friend? Um, and just the, the hair that stands up on the back of your neck and the, the tears swelling up in your eyes at that moment is just, honestly, it's hard to put into words because at this point you've traveled with him for two hours and 45 minutes. And it comes to this point, um, where probably his most hard won friend within the, uh, the Lakota Sioux tribe, um, comes around and, and commits himself to lifelong friendship with him um, when he's leaving them forever. Yeah. In this, uh, in so this just, world I mean, of magnificent and Indians, mortal en enemies, getting up on top of the cliff and screaming down as Dunbar is leaving forever because they're not going to see each other again. And he's just like, can you see that I'll always be your friend? And you're just like, mm. golly. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, I mean, like, you look at things like, uh, you look at things like, the Lone Ranger and Tonto, and you have these like old school, almost like master surf type relationships. Like, oh, I just use them to scout, or I just use them to like help me, help me like navigate the um, just the, the the way of the West in a lot of ways. This moment, I think, encapsulates what the movie is, even outside of just being a fantastic epic 
having shots and we didn't even talk about the camera action on this movie, but just like the shots that show like, this is the country that you are from American, um, wherever you do come from, like, this is what you have to, to be proud of. But you look at like the, the juxtaposition between a Lone Ranger and Tonto relationship. And then, you know, Sumanu Tutanka, Owachi and wind in his hair. And they are equals. Like they, they see each other and they respect each other. Um, and they have, they have, fought hard for the friendship uh, and they've sacrificed for one another. And it's just this, it's this extremely beautiful moment um, that, yeah, again, it's, it's hard to put into words to just go watch the movie. Well, yeah, there's, there's not a better way to finish it. It is, it's kind of, it's a singular moment where the Venn diagram just becomes, you know, merges into one circle. Um, Like you said really well. And um, the payoff the payoff comes with the first two hours and 45 minutes of the true grind that it takes for that payoff, you know, Mm. like you are, you know, Dunbar consistently talks in his journal about how frustrated kicking bird is. And he is with the fact of this uh, inability to communicate to each other, um, much less become friends. And then, you know, whenever Dunbar runs into the camp to tell him that he's seen Buffalo they just beat the hell out of him because they don't know what's going on. It's like, we don't understand you. And he's like, yeah, ditto. <laughs> and then the, the payoff comes into this idea where they can understand uh, wind in his hair at the top of the mountain, but then wind in his hair can come down and say, good trade. You know, that's a great moment too. Oh, uh, oh the, the hat for the, for the beaded. Necklace. Yeah. And so there, there, oh, there are so many moments that, that you look at and, uh, not only is there a hope for relatability uh, that that whether or not it's in the 1800s or the or 2022 coming out of a pandemic, there's also that friendship moment of uh, you know going after something that <laughs> you just want your boys to be there, right? And then oh yeah, uh, with the understanding that everybody's going to get married and they're going to bail anyways. So we'll, we'll, that's <laughs> well, another yeah. podcast. Yeah, uh, well, we'll we'll pick that one up later. But, yeah, I, I think I think closing comments, and if we're to apply this movie just to, to your everyday life, and if you've made it this far, I hope you can take this nugget for the road. Abraham Lincoln, speaking of the the Civil War era, um, he had a quote: "I don't like that man. I must get to know him better." And I think I think this movie is just a, a call, particularly in the age of of uh, you know non homogenous tension that's happening, whether it's race or someone you work with or someone you're like, man, that person's really rubbed me the wrong way. I think you can look at Wind in His Hair and Dances with Wolves um, and, and see the story play out in front of you, regardless of how different you may think that you are from someone else. Um, and, and, you know, if you have the mentality, I do not like that man, I would just encourage the listeners out there, you know, go get to know that person better uh, and look at Dances with Wolves as a movie that. Um, restores your faith in humanity uh, to take people from totally opposite ends of society. Um, And the possibility of always being a person's friend is out there. Yeah. And that, I think that, and that is why this withstands the test of time. Uh, Let me, let me leave you with this. A man with a near disability goes into enemy territory 
and starts understanding and respecting the indigenous population, realizing that he's on the wrong side, starts fighting for the right side and his people to invade. And he puts up a fight to preserve what he's found. Mm. Did Tremendous. you like Avatar 2? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I really hope you've been... Well, I hope you just came out with that one on the top of your head, but Dude, it sounds it... like it's been baking for a while. <laughs> I saw that. It was like, it was just like, is Hollywood just remit? It's like, wait a minute. Everybody loved Avatar, but they just took Dances with Wolves and put it in space. I was going to uh, say, they, they just didn't even know that they, you know, all the all the rom-coms out there, they actually just really like Romeo and Juliet. That's really just the crux of it. It all goes back to Shakespeare. Yeah, honestly, though. No. Well, Blake, this has been a ton of fun. I'm excited for us to do another one. Uh, but thank you for pulling back uh, Dances with Wolves into the limelight. And uh, hopefully we'll do this soon again. Well, Blake, thank, thanks for having me on. Uh, Lord willing, we'll blow up in uh, the Middle East and Asia and, and South America and what else. But um, and Korea. it was a so true delight. Re-release. Oh, re-release at that point, probably. But um, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Uh, we'll see you next time. All right. See you, man.